Please. Good morning. Well, normally we do announcements at the end, but I'm going to start with the first announcements. Don't pay attention to that clock. It is, uh, I use that clock to kind of time where I'm at in the message. It's like, hey, I'm watching that minute hand, and so I've already ran about 10 minutes long. So we're, this is going to be real short today. Right, if you see me start to panic. All right, if you are a child that is going to the treehouse class, why don't you leave now, please? I think they left without me telling them, so. All right, we got rid of those guys, so we're going to talk about kids today. That is, uh, I'm not joking, that's what we're talking about. The Lord is good, isn't he? So last week, Pastor Daniel led us through, uh, we, we're, we're kicking off a four-week series on, uh, on family, on, on walking through our lives. And we started off, as many of us do, we start off single, right? Unless you had like an arranged marriage or something like that, but you were still single, right? And you still enter into this. So Daniel, one of the highlights to me, um, is the idea that while we're single, we should uh, enjoy our singlehood and, and in devotion to God. Amen? That if you are single, there's nothing wrong with you. Amen? Where sometimes society might say something different or your family might say something different. It doesn't really matter your age. Is that God uses singleness in devotion to him. Amen? It's a good time. It's, it's the start of the journey. This is where we learn to grow, where we learn to depend on God. Then naturally, we kick off to the second phase, which we're going to talk about today, married life and then married with kids. You can hear the Al Bundy theme song in your head, right? Married with kids. Am I getting old enough for all my pop culture references? I used Three's Company about a year ago, and I got, yeah, I got one, I got one giggle. So I'm moving up on married with children, so now we've entered the 80s, early 90s. So, no, okay, never mind. Press ahead. Well... The first question you may have is, hey, you know, this guy in front of you, a lot of you may or may not know me. Um, I, I, I'm going to preach to you today from experience, so I want to show you a couple pictures. I have two kids, and this church never got to see my kids when they were younger, so you know Chase and Hannah. Phil, if you would show them, this is uh, the little guys when they, they started out. That was when Hannah was born. You see Chase there getting involved already. Chase broke a lot of hearts, ladies, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Chase, the little guy, as you can see, I didn't do any better. He didn't, he didn't get his looks from me. But I would walk into a room with Chase, and it would be like, you know, every, every female would come over and start talking to me. No, yeah, not because of me, yeah. If I didn't go in with Chase, they would leave, yeah. Uh, let me show you just a couple more, and just because I get to be a proud dad for me. That's me and Buddy, that's Chase, when we went to uh, Disneyland for the first time. Luckily, Audrey was extremely pregnant with Hannah, so she didn't get to do any rides, so I, I just had a great day of riding rides and hanging out. And I think she was something like, eight, I should have put your picture up there. She was eight or nine months pregnant. She had the torpedo belly. And uh, it was an all-expenses-paid trip by my father. My mom and dad came down, and they, they took us to Disneyland. So just two more pictures. That's Chase and Hannah when they're little. There's little Hannah. Hannah had no hair. And it was a total cutie. And then... Uh, just recently, this happened about 30 days ago, is we graduated Chase from high school. So it's not a, a shameless plug by me to show you some early family pictures. Before there are camera pictures, those were all on a 35 millimeter, by the way. Is, is to say that I've done this. I've walked this walk, what we're going to talk about today. And there's an old saying that says that preaching the word makes hypocrites of us all. Because I'm going to preach to you from what we should do and not what Michael Young did, right? There are things I've done right in my life, and there are things that, uh, try as I might, I can never get back, that I wish I could go back and tell myself, say, Mike, if you do this, man, you're going to, you're going to wish you had done this. And I'll tell you up front, the, we're, going to, we're going to kind of break these into different sections here, but I'll tell you the number one thing, uh, in case you're wondering, if I could go back and do anything different, I'd go back and just hold my kids, and I'd spend even more time with them. And it is so tough when you're holding a two-year-old that you're like, get me away from this child. <laughs> and when you're in that moment, it's like being in battle, right? So that moment you're in it, you're like, get me out of here. Lord, deliver me from this great evil that has come <laughs> upon my house. But I promise you, when you get to the other side, you'll look back, and the scars will have healed. And you're just like, man, if I could just go back and just kiss that child, hug that child, 
and you would do anything for it. I would, I would, I would give everything that I have to go back and spend 10 minutes with that two-year-old Chase and love on him. It makes me want to cry thinking about it, right? But during the moment, it wasn't pleasant. Amen? But we're going to start off a little bit differently. We're going to talk about marriage first because you got to get married before you have kids in the ideal world. I know it doesn't work out this way, but we're going to treat it like this has happened like this. So we're going to talk a little bit about marriage. And I'm going to say some things you're going to say, it's like, no kidding. If you've been around in any relationship more than five minutes, you're like, okay, this is common sense. But we want to put it in context of Scripture. And I do want to say is that human relationships are one of the toughest things to get right. I think this is the great challenge is to, is to work on this idea of this horizontal relationship with our brothers and our sisters, right? And yet it is the most critical thing because we can't have that vertical relationship with God until we get it right with people. He gives us grace, but he says, hey, the first ministry you have, husband and wife, is your home, is your kids, right? Because one of the requirements to moving up in the kingdom of God to eldership or to be a deacon is to rule your house well. So if your house isn't right, there's no going on in the things of God, right? And it's not that you're grounded or God's disappointed with you. If you can't run your house well, how can you take care of kingdom things, right? And so just because that's true for elders, friends, this is true for all of us. Like, this is square one. So if you want to know something about me, I would much rather be up here talking to you about the two witnesses in Revelation. Like, hey, who are these two guys? How can they call down fire, right? That's my cup of tea. I would love to spend an hour talking about that. And talking about relationships, marriage, and kids, honestly, and I'm just being completely honest, is the very bottom rung of what I would like to be talking about. Because of this reason. It's extremely easy to talk about. The scripture is very black and white, right? We don't need any theological training. We don't need any special gifting. You don't need a word from the Holy Spirit. If you can read basic English, you can understand what God's will is for your marriage and for your kids. And yet, it is the toughest thing to walk out. It's extremely simple, but in practice, it'll cost you everything. It's complete death to self, basically. And if you were here this last part of the year, we covered Matthew, and the big topic in, not Matthew, but the, the Sermon on the Mount, is death to self. And having a wife and a kids, or having a husband and the kids, is death to self. It really is. So let's jump into this. Let's start with prayer, actually. Father, would you... Please bless the work of my hands right now, Lord. This preparation, these, these words, Father, that are yours. Lord, would you speak through me? Would you help me to convey um, the truth about marriage and kids, Father, and your grand design for it, Father, and what a blessing it is. Lord, I thank you. It will fall upon uh, open hearts and open ears, Lord, and I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm normally a fan of bullet point messages because it helps keep, keep track of uh, where we're going and it helps me keep, uh, keep an eye on the clock. I don't really have a lot of points today. We're gonna, it's going to be more like a fireside chat if you're a fan of history. We're going to kind of walk through some scriptures. We're going to talk about a few things. and No real bullet points. But a, a couple scriptures I want to highlight um, is this idea of, of marriage and it's God's design. If you didn't know that, if we want look at Genesis 2.24... We started off at the very, very beginning. God says this, Therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The King James says they shall leave their father and shall cleave under their wife. I like the King James because it gives us an awesome rhyme. It's the principle of leave and cleave. <laughs> you know it's true because it rhymes, right? That's Bible 101. If I can find a scripture that makes a rhyme, I'm on a sound theology right here. Daniel's going to talk to me about that later. But leave and cleave. It's this idea is that God created men and women as such that we are to leave the coop, right? We are to join together. This is God's design, that a, a man should leave his mother and father and become one with his wife. The idea of cleaving, to become one. He leaves his family. Now, right now, my son just graduated. My daughter's about to be a junior. My wife and I are one, but we're one as a family unit. And the challenge we're learning right now is learning to let go of number one, letting go of Chase, right? Because he now has to make his way in the world, and we have to start the next phase of training, preparing him for the other woman, right? Preparing him to leave the family where he now becomes the nucleus of the family, right? And he's cleaving to a wife. But it's the, that's the principle. Genesis 2.18 says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, and I will make a helper fit for him. I will make a suitable helper for him. That man was created first and that women were created second. 
but women were com created to complete man. That man is missing something by himself. It is not good that man should be alone. And God said, I shall make a suitable, a fit helper for him. And that everything, everything a man lacks is made up in a woman. So we see here that humanity is complete when they come together as man and woman. That is the whole being before God. God says that when a man and a woman join together, they become one flesh. They become one in the Lord. Now, these things are hard to understand, but in God, that is completion. That is unity. The Bible says two is hard to separate, but a threefold cord is not easily broken. So when we enter the Spirit of God, we see that we become almost like an unstoppable force. You, your spouse, and God is not easily broken. Amen? And that's completeness. We get the image of three if you're into biblical numbers as well. Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexual immoral and the adulterous. Now, I'm not going to go into this. Daniel talked a lot about this idea of purity before marriage. Right? As we, again, the scripture, the bar is, is that we are pure before the marriage bed. Amen? And if we've fallen, Daniel talked about it, right? There is Repentance. But once you enter into this covenant with your spouse, as we believe here at Pillar and we think it's founded on the scripture, it's one wife for life. Again, another rhyme, you know it's true. The Bible says that God hates divorce. So when we enter into this discussion about marriage, that's the mindset you need to have. If you are newly married, you're thinking about getting married, you're entering into a contract, friends, where the Bible says will last the rest of your life. That expression, till death do us part, that's what it means. Right? The only way out of this thing is death. Now, I'm sure you're making all sorts of jokes in your head right there and you're nudging your spouse. <laughs> but if you arm yourself with this mind and you tell yourself, so when my wife and I got married, one thing we did right is we said, we're never going to use the D word. Divorce will not be thrown around in this marriage. This is not something to threaten each other with. Amen? This is not something we hold over each other's heads. Well, I guess we're just going to have to get a divorce. Maybe divorce is our own solution. The moment you start talking like that, you are sowing seeds of death into your marriage. Get rid of the D word. It does not belong in your marriage. Amen? Now, we are committed to working out whatever arises between us because God hates divorce and it's not part of his plan. Amen? Now, we've had series on divorce. We've talked about this. So if you have questions about it, we can refer you back to previous messages. You can talk to an elder. I'm not going to dive into it. Amen? I don't want you to feel cheated here, but we're, we're talking about marriage at this juncture. Mark 10, 6-9. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And here it is. And the two shall become one flesh. So they no, are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, my last thing I'll say about singleness before we... We dive into the meat of this here, is uh, you should go back and listen to Daniel's message if you didn't, but before you're married, that is your last chance to pump the brakes, right? Because when you go before the altar and before God, you're making a commitment to him. Now, we have civil ceremonies, and we, we have to do things for the state, and you need to do things for your Marine Corps benefits, right? But what really matters is before God. It's the vow that you take before him. We're saying, God, I, I'm going to honor and love this woman. And the woman reciprocates, right? And we become one before the Lord. And that's the vow that can't be broken right there. And God says, let no one break it. What the Lord has joined together. I personally believe you have a hand in stopping that, right? If this is not a healthy relationship, if the other person is not a believer, if there is warning, there's no shame in delaying that marriage, right? Because this is the one decision you need to get right, right? You guys look at me like I'm crazy. Get married, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Amen. Amen. And all the women said? Amen. Amen. Amen, yeah. I think it's more women have more regret than guys. You guys are like, sweet, I did it. I'm married. <laughs> Tricked her. All right. So what I wanted to do this morning is kind of break down um, the different roles here. So I wanted to start with guys. Let's start, let's start at the top, and we're going to work our way down here. So guys, this is for you. And the women said amen again. Amen. But ladies, I want you to listen to this because the, the role, it, understanding the, the true biblical roles in the house is, is paramount, right? We need to learn, hey, what's my role before God? What is my spouse's role? And with the heart of how do I help my spouse fulfill this role, right? Is because we are called to be helpmates to each other 
right? So how can I help my spouse effectively do this? And if you don't know what they're supposed to be doing, one, it's not an opportunity to beat them up over the head or to make fun of them, but it's to be able to pray for them. Amen? So let's look at Proverbs 18.22. Whoso, that means you, finds a wife, finds a good thing, and obtaineth favor from the Lord. Whosoever finds a wife finds a good thing. Men, the first thing you have to realize is that if you're married now, you have a good thing. And even if your relationship is not ideal, if you're going through marital troubles or problems, spats, fights, separations, meditate on the scripture. If you found a wife, you have found a good thing. Right? And the first step, guys, is finding the good in your wife. The scripture doesn't lie. You have found a good thing. While life is not ideal, remember that we are also not ideal as men, right? We're no cup of tea, better roses, whatever you want to say it. So think about it this way. Your self-talk about your wife ultimately reflects how you treat her. Now, we're going to get into some scriptures that talk about how we need to treat our wives. But what you say about her between, between here ultimately is how you're going to respect her, what you think about her. And if you're tearing her down in your head and in your heart, it's going to come out, brother. It's going to come out. You are not going to treat your wife right. And we're going to start to see a host of problems God starts talking about. So start thinking correctly about your wife, that she is a gift from God. You have found a good thing. Meditate on these things, right? The Bible says, capture every thought and every imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What do you think about your spouse that is not biblical? I don't care what you think that is correct. Just because it's happening doesn't mean you need to meditate on that. Does the Bible say to meditate on the evils of people? I'm looking for an answer here. Does it say to meditate on people's faults? Does it say to rehearse problems? Or does it say think on the things, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, think on these things. What are you thinking about your spouse? What do you really think about them? Right? You're tearing down your marriage starting off in your mind. Ephesians 5.23. Now we're going to get to the, you're going to get sacked here. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. This is the great command, is you love your wife like Christ loves the church. How does Christ love the church? Well, first of all, he died for it. Have you died for your wife? Have you died so much to self for your wife? Right? How often do the marriages start to fail because we have two selfish people and one person won't yield? Right? We have two wills coming together. In my relationship, you know, sometimes you get the, sometimes you have more female dominant and the guy's subservient, just by nature, right? Personalities are different. Some guys are real domineering, and sometimes you have a, a wife that's really meek. In my marriage, it's two strong-headed people, right? So we got married, and it was like, okay, go time. Who is going to outlast here, right? Who, who's going to break this thing down? We were new Christians, and we were figuring this thing out. And we're both still very stubborn and hard-headed people. Right? But we have to learn these, these roles. And when it says Christ loved the church, I realized that winning an argument and trying to force my way to being always right and being, being the, the alpha in the house, that's not what Christ did. Did Christ domineer like that? Did he? No, he's meek, right? He's the meekest man. He was lowly, right? He sought the benefit of others. So I'm not telling you why I've always done this, church. I don't want to be a hypocrite here. But the correct way to do it, yield. Love your wife like Christ loved church. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't make her right. We're going to talk about your role and authority. We're going to talk about how to do this. So I don't want to say you yield authority. That's not what I'm saying. But when it comes to, to disputes in the home, is you need to get on top of this, right? You need to love your wife like Christ loves the church. You need to seek reconciliation. Right? A lot of times it's the spouse that seeks that first. To be honest with you, in a lot of marriage counseling, when we hear it, it's typically the wife that's trying to reconcile to the husband most of the time. And it's the guys that are hard-headed. And the, the men are not fulfilling the role of Christ where they're seeking the spouse. They're always pursuing her. Remember, Christ is always pursuing us, is he not? Are you pursuing your spouse? Are you seeking where things have gone wrong and actually owning it, men? The old expression, the buck stops here. I got news for you. When God judges your marriage, man, it stops at you. You are responsible. And I hate to tell it to you, it doesn't matter how mean, evil, and nasty your wife is, it's still coming to your doorstep.
because you were put in charge and you were accountable. And you need to pursue this woman like Christ pursues the church. Love your woman like Christ loves her. Amen? And think, think hard about what that means because there's so much more we could talk about this, right? And this is death to self because when you were being wronged in a relationship, any relationship, you know how tough that is? Right? Because we want to justify ourselves. I need to prove to this woman that she's wrong. How many have ever thought that? Okay, don't lie to me. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Brian told the truth. Right, okay, we've got a couple honest men in the back there. But the point is, is and I remember thinking, I was like, my wife would say X, and I'd be like, oh, I can't wait to show her how wrong she is. And if she's wrong on two or three things in a row, look out, because then my head starts getting big. It's like, what's going on? Is she just not plugged into, you know? That's just so evil. That kind of thought is evil, and it's fleshly. And it's not serving my marriage well. And we're gonna, I'm going to show you a couple of the scriptures, but the best thing I can do is love her, because... We have to live with these people forever. Why would you want to tear down the one person you have to live with forever? Amen? It's just foolishness. We hurt ourselves. Let's look at a couple more scriptures. Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives. Now look at this. And do not be harsh with them. How you treat your wife matters. Do not be harsh with them. How do you speak to your spouse, even when you're angry? If you get angry often and you speak harsh, you need to learn to shut your mouth. Right? You need to learn to calm yourself before you speak to your spouse. Friends, words do permanent damage. It's the words that we rehash in our minds when we're digging up old grievances. It's words that we have to learn to heal from. Right? I guarantee you we're going to talk about children in a minute. But I'm sure my kids don't remember the spankings I gave them, but I'm sure they can remember if I've said something to them that hurt their feelings. That's what they're going to remember. It's the tongue. James says it's full of poison. Don't be harsh with them. Men, learn to speak to your wives. 1 Peter 3, 7. I'm going to show you something. And I've wondered if you've seen this before. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, if you do a study on that weaker vessel, that just, it means physically weaker, right? Physically. It doesn't mean mentally. It doesn't mean that you are superior to her. You are not. We're both made in the image of God, but most men are stronger than most women, right? Is that fair to say? Now, there's exceptions, so I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm sure there's a female Marine ready to rock my world in the parking lot after this. But for the most part, for the most part, that's how the sexes are built, right? Men by nature are stronger. It says, so show honor to them. Men, it doesn't help your cause to be the alpha with the weaker female. You're not the man acting all tough and throwing things around your house, yelling at her, causing a scene. What are you proving there? Really think about it. What are, you, what are you doing? We know you're bigger. We know you're badder. And then you violated the scripture here where it says walk in an understanding way. You're bigger than. You're bigger than. You should know better than this, right? Like if you see you know, a 16-year-old kid picking on a 3-year-old, are you going to jump in the middle of that? That's not right. And so it is. Men, you've been built in such a way, you need to show honor to your wife as the weaker sex, physically, right? Because that's not a, an environment you want in your house where you are physically dominating. But it says, since you are all heirs together of the grace of life, now men, here's the promise, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Do you know that how you treat your wife determines if your prayers get heard and answered from God? If you are not treating your spouse correctly, men, there's no promise for women like this. The scripture never says, hey, women, I'm not listening to you. God talks to you specifically, and it also says it in Malachi chapter 2. God says it in a little different way. You can go back and read it in Malachi 2. It says, your prayers can be hindered if you're being harsh with your wife, if you're not walking, understanding, you're not treating her right. So if you're in a marriage and you know you're not doing right by your wife, but at night you're on your knees praying for your marriage, like trying to get it right, let me ask you this. Is there any scriptural guarantee that God is hearing you? Don't be afraid to answer. The answer is no. What God wants you to do is go and repent to your wife. Open back up the communication to him is go get right with your wife and change your ways. Repentance simply means to change ways, right? Change directions, change from what you're doing remorsefully, right? Like, hey, I'm moving. I've done this wrong. So I want you to think about how you're treating your spouse and see if you feel that you've been praying up against a closed heaven. Have you ever felt like that where you're praying and you, it feels like God isn't hearing you? Am I the only one? is maybe it's the relationship you're having with your spouse. 
Now, ladies, we're going to talk about you now, and the men said, thank God. You don't want this happening to your husband. What, what happened there? Oh, amen. Thank you. We're going to start scripting these things so you... It's like, look, it'll make everyone's life easier if you just talk to this guy. We'll get him off the stage, and we'll get on with it. But as much as you're angry with your husband, if he's been harsh to you, he's talking bad about you, and all whatever this is going on, you don't want God, the communication line between him and God closed, do you? So we've got to learn how to not make his life tough, and we want to see what the Scripture says on how to treat our husbands. So let's jump off in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2. Likewise, he just got done talking about the guys. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Let's stop there for a minute. Does it say be subject to every husband? Does it say to every man? What does it say? Be subject to your own husband, right? So let, we don't want to be unbalanced here. God calls for women to be submissive to one. That's her spouse, right? And you've heard this before. It's kind of cliched, but if, if the husband is loving the wife like Christ loves the church, is it hard to submit to that man? Because that man is seeking to benefit the woman. Everything he does is to sacrifice for her. Every decision that man makes now is for the benefit of her. So who wouldn't want to submit to a person like that? Who wouldn't want to work for a boss that did everything for you? Like to do everything, not that they don't do your work, but they simply exist to serve you, right? And the Bible says, women, submit to this man. Submit to your own husband. That means you're going to fall under their headship, right? You're going to accept some of the decisions they make. We're going to talk briefly about that here in a minute, right? But you are submitted to this husband of yours. Now, just like men, I told them that, hey, it doesn't matter how mean and nasty you are, they have to do certain things. The scripture, unfortunately, does not give you the choice to submit even to a bad husband. Right? Because it goes both ways. Sometimes the woman is making it very difficult for the man, but yet he has to love and sacrifice for her. He has to die to self. And so you, too, might be married to a man that is like, man, how do I honor and submit to this man? How do I honor, honor a man that is not worthy of honor? These are tough questions. And yet, we have to find a way to be obedient to the scriptures. Amen? And for the sake of our marriages. Let's keep reading there. So that even if they do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. There's a lot of scriptures on being a wife and on, on womanhood. And there's a lot on the conduct of a woman and what it does to people in general. There's something about a woman, how she lives her life can influence people without a word. And the scripture doesn't say a lot about men doing that. It says a lot, a lot about women doing that, right? All eyes are on you, ladies, in the home. And I know this to be true with... My wife is the center of the home. It's like the sun and all the planets going around it. When the wife has a bad day, does the, do you think the house has a good day or a bad day? No. Friend, we're all having a bad day here. But when my wife is having a good day, I come home and she's happy, it lifts my spirits. I could have had the worst day in the world, but I come home to a joyful wife and my home is all right. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? You just feel that weight. It's like, man, Cool, she's not mad. I haven't done something stupid today. <laughs> and I can live to see another sun's sunrise, right? But it's so much so. I think it's just the way God, there's something about a woman that God designed that way. The, the old joke is that, yeah, man may be the head of the house, but what's the woman? The neck, the neck right? It turns the head, <laughs> head wherever it wants to go. And so your conduct, ladies, even if you have a, um, a rebellious husband and a stubborn husband, is think about the example you are setting in the house. Because God gives you a promise here. You can win over your husband, even with your conduct. And it's not easy. It's death to self. When the equation gets out of line, right, when one husband is trying to do this and the other, and the other spouse is trying to do it, the wife's trying to do it, we have harmony, right, because there's communication, there's forgiveness, we're praying for one another. But what happens when the equation's lopsided, when one is doing it and not the other? And I'm sorry to beat up on you guys, but most of the time it's the guy's not trying, just to be completely honest with you. So ladies, you have that unenviable task of maybe working in a broken home, 
trying to honor and respect your husband without anybody reciprocating. But God never says, do things so it can be reciprocated. We are to give, right? And God takes care of the return. Amen? Our job is to give. Honor your husband. Now, I'm not going to get too much into how to honor and how to respect. Every man is a little bit different on what they feel is disrespect and what they feel is honor. So growing up, you know, uh, so my parents, um, growing up in the 60s and early 70s, part of my dad feeling respected was coming home and having dinner on the table. Just, you know, I mean, that's what he wanted. He's like, hey, when I come home from work, I want dinner on the table. Right? Does anyone have parents or maybe you're like that? So when I got married, I wanted dinner on the table. <laughs> and it, well, I wasn't trying to be a jerk about it, but one thing I saw my mom doing, and we didn't grow up in it, we weren't Christians at this time, but one thing my mom did to honor my dad was to do that. And so I, I knew at 5 o'clock she started dinner. Like, it didn't matter what was happening in the world, dinner was started, so my dad would have dinner on the table. So I'm a new person, new, newly married. And my wife's family, one, they didn't do that. Two, they didn't eat dinner till like 8 or 9 o'clock at night. And the, the youngs over on the West Coast ate dinner at like 5.30. So I get married, and it's like, I come home, I was in the Air Force, come home, it's like, why, where, where beest my uh, dinner woman? <laughs> and she's sitting on the couch and like, what are you talking about? What are you making? So what, yeah. So we had to work through these issues. And why do I say that to you? Is because men and women, you have to have this conversation about what respect means to you. And then you also have to give because I'll be honest with you, my wife is not the lady that's ever going to cook me dinner on time unless it's my birthday. <laughs> and I know that about her, so you know what I had to do? And, and I say a lot of this is in jest. I love her. And I let it go because I'm like, you know what, that doesn't, I think about it, it's like that doesn't really show honor to me. It's like, because I used to get, remember, I used to get upset about it. I was like, you know, I really just want dinner at 7 or 6. Oh, I forgot. I got busy. And she's trying to raise kids and, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards. And eventually I just had to swallow my pride, guys, because remember, we're always seeking the benefit of the other. But have that discussion. What does it mean to honor my husband? What does he like? I mean, I hate it when my whites are washed with the darks. I hate color bleed. I mean, she doesn't do it. I don't think when we got married that she cared. I care about it. So she has found the little things that I care about. And... To be honest with you, it honors me. And that's why I said I, I wish I could give you a hard and fast rule of what it is, but it just looks different, right? It just looks different. Okay. Also, every woman maybe needs to be loved a little differently too, guys. Take that same advice, right? You don't want this big nebulous, oh, I'm loving you like Christ loved the church. I'm forgiving you. <laughs> nice try, right? We can't become Pharisees and legalistic about it. Like, there may be certain things that you're, you do for your wife that makes her feel loved, right? You've heard the old love language, right? Time, gifts, you name it, right? Learn what those are and, and show, show her. Proverbs 21.19. Better to live in the wilderness than with a nagging and hot-tempered wife. What translation did I just read? Um, I just read the King James? Cool. King James is better than the CSV one. Quarrelsome and fretful woman. The other one says nagging and hot-tempered. I don't think that's King James either. I don't know if they use those words. But here's the point. This is just, again, just hitting you with some truth, having done this for about 20 years now. Uh, from the ministry side is, ladies, when you were trying to communicate with your husband... How are you doing it? And it's an odd problem, you know, you get guys when I want you to start talking to ladies, is nagging, right? And, the, and it's like, well, that's not fair. And I even hate using that word because if I said, if I told my wife she's nagging me, it's gonna, we're gonna automatic fight. So don't use the word nagging. But just think about how you're communicating. Here's the point. How are you communicating your displeasure or whatever's happening in your world, right? The Bible talks about like a dripping faucet, like a nagging woman is like that faucet dripping. And it says it's better just to go live in the woods. And I'd have to say amen to that, right? It's like, man, you don't want to hear about it. So think of it this way. If your husband, if, you, if you're a stay-at-home mom, I'll give you an example. Now some of you ladies are working. But you haven't seen your husband all day. So now you're doing the mental rehearsing. When I, I see that man, I'm going to tell him what's going on, right? He's been working all day, and he comes home, opens up the door. What's the first thing you hit him with? Kids did this, I need this, you didn't do this, you didn't do this, I need this. Now, fair enough, he, the mo right away, he's not thinking, okay, she hasn't seen me in 10 to 12 hours. 
and she's been stuck at home with a two-year-old, so now she's going to slam me real quick, and let's get it out of the way. It comes right across as like, man, where's the off button, right? And it shuts your husband down. And the point of this is why I showed you the scripture, ladies, is one thing you can do is learn how to communicate to your husband. Men are notoriously difficult to communicate with, most men. Amen? They're tough, and, I, and I'm tough too. I don't want to talk about certain things. Matter of fact, I just don't want to talk. As much as I love talking, <laughs> I don't, I'm very uncomfortable talking about very real things. I immediately want to shut up, and I want everything to stop. It's uncomfortable. Most guys are like that, right? Hey, can we talk about this? Yeah, okay. Can we talk about how you feel about what you feel? It's like, oh. No, we cannot. But I'm going to give you some advice. This communication channel, because men typically suck, and guys, this isn't an excuse for you not to try. Ladies, it does start with you, right? Pray about how to communicate with your husband. And think about it. If you're being hot-tempered, and if you, if you think you're being nagging or, or quarrelsome, or whatever the word you want to use in there, think about what that does. It is shutting him down. It really does, because we want peace between the two sexes. So think about how you're communicating these things. If it's up to you, don't be the cause of it. Okay. Let's jump. Just a uh, scripture I want to share with you on marriage, and we're going to talk about kids here. And if, if you memorize scripture, this is a good one. Ephesians 4, 2 through 3 says this, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Friends, you need peace in your marriage, right? Seek the benefit of each other, right? Learn to yield. My last pastor at my last church used to always say this. He said, hey, the more godly person typically repents first, says sorry first. Saying sorry doesn't make them right for what they did, but just sets you free, right? Repent for your part to play. It always takes two to tango. You've heard the expression. But seek peace. You want peace in your homes. Friends, you don't, by proving yourself right to your spouse, whether it's lady or men, ladies or men, it, it doesn't matter who is right. You don't have peace. Domineering doesn't give you peace. The best thing I can, my advice to you is when you go home, it's nice to have peace. It's nice to have a spouse that loves you, right? It's nice to have that. And it, there's no argument that's really worth winning to, to sacrifice that, right? I don't know. Okay, let's talk about children. Yes, you've been waiting for this. So I, I do want to, um, I want to start off one thing. I, I'm, I'm going to tip my, my poker hand to you. I believe in spanking. I believe in correcting children physically. Um, but I do want to say something up front. There are some people that have adopted kids or they've come from abusive homes where they've been physically abused, right? So we want to be smart about this. We want to be smart about correcting physically because not every child responds the same way, right? We are not talking about child abuse. And if you have uh, an abuse that runs through your family, right, like you can always seek counseling. There's other ways to correct. This is not the only way. We're going to talk a couple different ways here. Right, so I want to I want to put that caveat on there. If you've come from a home with abuse, and I know great Christian people that foster people from abusive homes, and they can't even think about spanking their kid because they've seen some horrific things. I understand that. Amen. But I'm gonna tell you what I did. My kids got spanked a lot, <laughs> and they needed it, especially Hannah. I'm looking right at her. Look at this. Proverbs 22:15. It says, "Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child." but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. If you have kids, if you've ever met a kid, you know kids have foolishness bound up in them. It's who they are. Don't be surprised when kids are crazy. You know why? Because kids are crazy. <laughs> there is something in their DNA, right, when God makes the, these children. I don't know, it does, I think, more for the parents. And sometimes it's not fair because, like, if you look at our kids, You've met my son. He's in the back there. Chase, say hi. That's the most he's going to say to the church probably all year. <laughs> he's a quiet guy. He's extremely smart. He's well-read. He does talk. Believe it or not, he'll like, you, you get him around like his, high, well, his college friends now. He starts talking. He's all normal. He's talking like, what's wrong? And then he just stops talking for days on end. He was like that as a kid. So Chase as a two-year-old was awesome. So it's just a cool kid, man. He's quiet. He's hanging out. He was eating grapes and drinking Capri Suns, man. It was just a cool time. So Audrey and I are like, man, we have cool kids, good-looking kids. This is great. And then my beautiful daughter comes along, Hannah. 
is the other end of the spectrum. It's like Hannah running into traffic, Hannah just running off. Just, we couldn't control the child. And she, we called her the grape thief. She would always steal food. She's just like, she was just crazy. It's like, oh my God, how do I stop the Hannah? <laughs> and so it's easy if you've never had kids to think it's like, man, those people have little Damien over there. It's like, those are possessed kids. No, kids are just crazy. That's what it is. And it's our job as parents is to correct them, right? Because this is where it starts. And it says, though, it's bound in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline draw, drives it far from him. I'm going to give you some advice that I heard when I was in Bible college. I like this. So if you believe in spanking, um, is don't use your hands. Because the Bible talks a lot about hands. The hands are for love. When your child sees you coming and those hands come out, you don't want imprinted on their mind those hands that have spanked them. Right? That's why it talks about a rod. Now, in our house, we used a wooden spoon, right? And you hit the child commensurate with their age, right? Are you blistering a two-year-old? Don't be crazy, right? Do you spank a six-month-old? No, I don't, I don't think so. That's my personal opinion. They're too young. They're not remembering. They're not learning from that, right? The idea is not to hurt them. Pain equals you don't do this. That's not the point. It's correction, right? So we started spanking when we could somewhat communicate with a child. I'm spanking you because you did this. Now, a two-year-old, you know, whatever. Then you spank them, right? And they immediately forget it, and they do it again. But the idea of using a rod and not your hands, because I like the idea when they see the rod, they know it's correction time, right? Just like, if, you know, me growing up, if I saw the belt, it's like you run for the hills, right? But if the parent sees me coming like this, because sometimes you need to grab your child for safety reasons, right? You don't want them running from you because, like, oh, I'm about to get spanked or something. No. Right? It needs to be done in a calm, orderly manner. Let me show you another scripture here. Psalm 23, 13 through 14. In case you're like, well, the rod of discipline, maybe, maybe it's a spiritual thing. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. No, it is talking about physical spanking. Okay? Again, you don't have to agree with me that this should be done, but we can't get away from the fact that the Bible does tell us this is how it's done. Okay? Men, you've got to think about how much force you're putting on there. You should never discipline your child while you are angry, especially young children, right? Where you think about how strong we are and you think about how weak a child is, it can get out of hand really quick. You, you don't want to hurt this child for life, right? The idea is instruction is correction. So if your child, has your child ever made you angry? No, yes. Oh, yeah, today, yeah, in the last... Because it is easy to be seeing blue with a child, right? A two-year-old, a three-year-old, a five-year-old. I mean, they just do things. And it's like, you lose your mind. It's like, you can't think, especially in public. I remember times where it's like, I'm taking the kids, like, are in the store, and they think, hey, I'm going to act a fool because there's no way you're going to hit me in public in California after the year 2000. It's like, you know, the ACLU will be at your door, buddy. The kids figure these things out real quick. And so I just sit there with my little fake smile. It's like, come with me. You're walking them out to the car and like, oh, no, I didn't think you'd actually leave the store to go <laughs> beat me in the back of a minivan. It's like, you're darn skippy, I'm about to. I shouldn't use the word, I shouldn't joke. We're not beating kids here. But the point is, is we want to, be, here's, here's the advice. Be consistent and calm yourself down, right? And think about it. Does every infraction need a spanking? No. We need, as the child gets older, they mature, they get smarter. So we, in theory, we should be able to communicate more, Right? Learn, you and your spouse need to have a discussion about what's a spankable offense. How do we spank? How do we discipline? How are we doing this? And the toughest thing my wife and I did was learning to be consistent. Amen? Because sometimes you just get so fed up, it's like, I'm just, whatever, just go to your room. Then that little monster just got away with something. Like, yeah, I've got him on the ropes. Be inconsistent, right? Be inconsistent with it. Let me show you another scripture. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The idea of discipline, we're not here to provoke the child. You're not getting even for them ruining your day. And they did ruin your day, trust me. Many a days have been ruined by a child. It's, this is, discipline them is not your chance to get even, friends. You've got you to clear your mind. I know it's tough. But the idea behind discipline is to instruct them in the way they should go when they get older. Because there's kind of a time when they're just going to be too big to discipline. Right? Chase, we talked about, you know, there was a point where he got big enough where it's like, one day he, like Audrey and him, like, rest around or screwing around, and he, like, pushed her, and she's like, uh-oh, he got that weird man strength all of a sudden. He went from being a child 
to as skinny as he is, you know, it's like, oh, he's got man strength. And, you know, you don't want to smack that kid with the bow, right? <laughs> it's like, one, one say, yes, you do. Yeah, well, I want to, but I'm not going to. Right, so we get this idea that you've got a window in when to correct, and you want to learn how to do it. You want to do it correctly. We want to be consistent with it. And the idea is your motivation. It's not to get even, right? If that's your motivation, stop what you're doing. Time out. Let the other spouse do it or walk away, right? Amen? Okay. That went over well. Okay, let's talk about training. Proverbs 22.6. So correction is one side of the coin. Another side with children is training. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Your motivation for correction or whatever you're doing is to have a functioning person that's going to work in society, in the church, in school, in life. This is part of the training. This is why you're doing what you're doing. You're taking this craziness that's bound up in a two-year-old, and you're thinking, hey, one day I'm going to have to release this person into the wild. And who this person is, in large part, is because of you. How you train, what you did or what you didn't do. You know, are, you, are you verbally abusive? Are you physically abusive? Are you consistent in the home? Right? All these things. And not only are you correcting, but are you telling them what they should be doing? That's one thing to say, don't do that. Whap! Right? What's the other side of training? What should you have done? A lot of times, as parents, we, just, we, we get right to the, hey, I'm not about to put up with this. And you correct the child, and you, you don't set the example on what to do. It's a training example, right? Train up a child in the way they should go. And I love this promise, when they get older, they will not depart from it. If you have older children, you know that doesn't mean everything works out perfect. But you have given them a sure foundation. Right? You remember the prodigal son? What happened when he came to his senses? He came home. He remembered what it was like in his father's house. This, friends, this is the foundation. This is not a guarantee that everything goes great. But when they come to themselves, when God reaches out to them, you've given them a foundation they can grab back onto. Amen? What an awesome, awesome promise. I'm going to read you something out of the, uh, the New Living Translation because I, I like the way it words it. Proverbs 20, verse 7. The godly walk with integrity, and blessed are their children who follow them. The best thing, the advice I can give you in the home is set the example. Children become who their parents are. I mean, they see you yelling and screaming and acting a fool. What do you think your kids look like? Just what they know. Broken homes produce broken people. Now, even if you're a single parent, I'm not talking broken home like that. You can set all these godly examples within a home, whatever that structure looked like. You can pray. You can ask for wisdom. You can talk to us. We'd love to, to help you out on what this looks like. But there's no replacement. There's no amount of correction. There's no amount of talking that will override what kids see. Who you are says more to them than anything else you could do. There's no amount of spanking that's going to stop you know, a young man from seeing a father hit his mom. You can correct that child all day long, but you've ingrained something in him that's going to be hard for him to shake. Amen? These are tough things. So the best thing I, you can do, this is not my quote, but if you're married right now and you have kids, it says the best thing you can do for your kids is husbands love their moms. It's the best thing you can do for your kids. Mom, love those husbands. That's that foundation of that family. So getting your kids right, I think first is getting the relationship between the man and the wife right. Coming to agreement on how to raise the child. And it's not easy. It's difficult. And I can speak from experience. That's why I showed you the pictures. I've done this. I, we've walked through these seasons of, of the craziness of a two- and a three-year-old and a newborn and being scared when, you, you know, when you, the first kid comes and you think it's... You think it's always going to die as soon as this guy, like green snot. It's like, oh, it's got the plague. You know, you run to the hospital. It's like, no, it's got, it's got a cold. And, and the season that, that, to me, that was the toughest was when my baby girl was in junior high and, and she wanted nothing to do with daddy anymore. You know, you had baby, you had daddy's little girl. And then you get to that, un, that awkward stage, right, where the body starts changing and it was pushed dad away. So when she was in junior high, she wanted nothing to do with me. But my wife was there, right? She's back now. She loves me again. But I remember that when in high school, when high school started, she came back and she came over and sat next to me. But it went from like her, you know, to sit on my lap, and then it's like, oh, I can't be near that, right? And so all these seasons, they're all difficult, and they're always changing. They're having high schoolers. Now, we're going to college. Martinez has started the college route. Some of you have done that, right? You've, your kids are married and your grandparents. You've walked through these seasons. And you can testify 
that is always changing. But the anchor for that family, friends, I'm going to stop right now, is that relationship with your spouse. That's the anchor the kids are going to remember. That's how you're going to weather these storms because it's not a perfect road and, and there's going to be falling and we all need grace. But get that right between that man and that woman. You're going to be okay. Amen? Your kids are going to be okay. Like, work on that. Do these things. Calm down. The last scripture I want to read you, it's not up here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 4 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Mark that in your Bible and think about how you can walk that out. How can I love my wife and my kids? How can I love my husband and kids? Read 1 Corinthians 13. Love is this. Walk that out. If you, if you need the bullet points on what I'm doing, am I being resentful? Am I believing all things? Am I believing the best about my spouse, spouse or have I been tearing them down? What I want to do is, is to take a few moments. Um, I was praying through this this week, and you may not be having problems in your marriage, but sometimes hearing this for the first time, maybe we're not doing our spouse justice in our marriage. Maybe we have it done right. So I, want, I, I wanted to, if anyone is interested, we'd love to pray for you right now. Um, Adrian, if you want to come up and we, we can start the communion song. Um, but if you need prayer in your marriage, and I'm not saying necessarily it's bad, like maybe you just want prayer, like, hey, we, we want to, you know, we're working on this, or maybe it's something rejoicing. Would you come up right now? And if you don't, would you just be praying with your, with your spouse right now? And if you're single, just be praying for all the marriages in this church. So if there's anyone that would like uh, prayer right now for their, for their marriage, would you come up? We'd be happy uh, to pray for you. Um, if there's any resent, resentment or brokenness in the home, maybe it's not your marriage, maybe it's your children. Maybe you need prayer for raising your kids, um, reconciliation, you name it. And church, if you'd just be praying right now, praying for the people coming out, praying for your own relationships, we, uh, we'd love to do that for you.